0: Let's pray together now. Loving God, as we come to your word, we pray. Open up your word to our hearts and our hearts to your word so that you may change us. Amen. Mark's account of the crucifixion of Jesus takes place over four acts. Act one is concerned with the Roman trial of Jesus. A trial had already taken place the night before, led by chief priests and scribes, which had already found Jesus guilty of blasphemy and determined that he should be executed. However, that trial lacked public and official approval, so they brought Jesus before Pilate. Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea at that time, a Roman province, for 10 years, from 27 to 37 AD. He left office only six years before the Romans invaded Britain, creating the Roman province of Britannia. Not a lot is known about him in the historical records, apart from the fact that he was the one who sentenced Jesus to death. The Gospel records are clear that Pilate did so not because he found Jesus guilty of any crime, but because it was politically expedient to avoid an uproar in an occupied territory. Because of the crowd shouting crucify him and the chief priests who wanted that outcome, Pilate chose peace and quiet over justice. Sometimes we have to watch out for politicians who are more concerned for law and order, by which they mean peace and quiet, than for justice for the similar reason of political expedience. Act 2 of this story is the crucifixion of Jesus. Normally condemned prisoners would carry their own cross, or at least the cross bar, to the site of, this, of their crucifixion. This heightened the public nature of the execution and served to underline the power of Rome. However, on this occasion, someone else was compelled to carry the cross. It was Simon of Cyrene. That he is identified as the father of Alexander and Rufus implies that the original recipients of Mark's Gospel knew who Alexander and Rufus were, underlining that there were eyewitnesses to this event that were known to the community. So why was Simon compelled to carry the cross? Presumably because Jesus had been too badly beaten to carry it himself. And that in itself is quite a picture. The incarnate God too weak to carry his cross and in need of assistance. It reminds us that we all need help sometime. But why Simon? Why was Simon chosen rather than some other passerby? It remains a mystery. We know that Cyrene was in North Africa, that there was a large Jewish community there. And the book of Acts records in chapter 2 verse 10 that those who heard the disciples speaking in other tongues at Pentecost included visitors from Cyrene. So perhaps Simon, this African man, was seen as sympathetic to Jesus and therefore chosen to share his humiliation. Mark alone of the four Gospels tells us what time Jesus was crucified. Nine o'clock in the morning. To conclude a trial, have someone flogged, and executed by 9am, gives you some idea how early Jesus' accusers brought him before Pilate. And Jesus wasn't the only one crucified that morning. Two bandits, whose trials presumably had been conducted at an earlier point, were also crucified with Jesus. And all the while, Jesus' detractors mocked him, including those, incredibly, who were crucified with him. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross now, so that we may see and believe in him. The third act in this drama is the death of Jesus. After three hours of darkness, from noon till three in the afternoon, and therefore six hours on the cross, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Lema, Sabachthani, which means, My God, My God, Why have you forsaken me? This is a quotation from Psalm 22, verse 1, one of the Psalms through which the Gospel writers view the crucifixion. The Psalm references the casting of lots for the speaker's clothing, for example, and alludes to being scorned and mocked. However, the Psalm also points towards future vindication by God. Jesus does not die with quiet dignity. Not for Mark is the self-control implied in John's account, where Jesus dies simply saying, it is finished. Mark describes Jesus as dying with a loud cry. He breathed his last with a loud cry. And that loud cry may have been, it is finished. But more likely, however, that loud cry was non-verbal. There are no words sufficient to give expression to either our deepest anguish all greatest triumph. Whatever the nature of Jesus's loud cry at his death, it was sufficient to cause the Roman centurion stood facing him as he breathed his last to conclude, truly, this man was God's son. Jesus' death, though neither quiet nor dignified, nonetheless had a quality that caused even a hardened Roman centurion to conclude there was something divine about it. When you are suffering, don't feel you have to be dignified. Sometimes our cries, rather than our words, have power to persuade. Present at the crucifixion are the women. The men fled at Jesus' arrest and make no further appearance in Mark's story. The women, however, remain constant. They have provided for Jesus in Galilee from the beginning and they are eyewitnesses to the very end. They are, of course, also the first witnesses to the resurrection. The women disciples of Jesus are preeminent in this story and in the story of the church. Thank God for the women. The fourth and final act of the Passion of the Christ is the burial of Jesus. When evening came, Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the council, requested Jesus' body from Pilate. Now this is an unexpected twist. Joseph was a respected member of the council. That is, the very same council of chief priests and scribes who handed Jesus over to be crucified. Why would he do that? Joseph is mentioned in all four gospel accounts as the man who buried Jesus. Matthew doesn't mention that he was part of the council. Luke notes that he was, but that he had not consented to their decision and action. While John describes him as a disciple of Jesus, but in secret. Mark describes him as someone waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God. It's an ambiguous description for a man whose motives appear Ambiguous. Whatever those motives were, Joseph went to Pilate to ask for the body of Jesus. This was risky because one did not want to be seen as sympathetic to people executed by Rome. But Jewish law in Deuteronomy 21 verses 22 and 23 required that executed Jews should not be left hanging on a tree overnight. So Joseph wanted Jesus and possibly the other two men buried before nightfall. And especially As the next day was a Sabbath, it was important to get this done quickly. That Joseph had to request Pilate's permission to take the body is a reminder that Jesus, as a condemned man, was now the property of Rome. Pilate was surprised that Jesus had died already. Crucified people sometimes took days to die. But the centurion was able to confirm his death, so Joseph was granted the body. That Joseph bought a linen cloth implies that he had not prepared for this ahead of time. He was responding quickly. So he wrapped the body in that linen shroud and laid it in a nearby tomb. All of this seems to have been done with some haste to make sure that the burial was completed before sundown when the Sabbath would begin. In Mark's account, therefore, Joseph did not appear to have sufficient time to wash, anoint, and prepare Jesus' body in the usual ways. That's one of the reasons that the women went to the tomb early in the morning on the day after the Sabbath. Their plan was to anoint the body of Jesus, presumably because they had seen that Joseph had not had enough time to do so. Trial, crucifixion, death, and burial. These are the four acts of this story. in some ways, they parallel the four acts that Jesus performed at his last supper on the night before, which we reenact in the Eucharist. Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it. Take, bless, break, give both parallel and prefigures Jesus' trial, crucifixion, death, and burial. And in so doing, both the Eucharist and the Crucifixion make an important point, which we Christians have celebrated ever since. This is not the end of the story. In the Eucharist in Mark 14.25, Jesus declares, I will never drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And that coming kingdom is most powerfully demonstrated in the resurrection of Jesus when the women arrived early on the day after the sabbath to anoint the body of jesus they discovered that their services were no longer required jesus was no longer dead the resurrection of jesus changed everything and that is what we continue to celebrate to this day for the resurrection of jesus means all things are possible no matter how dark or painful things may be today, brighter days are possible tomorrow. And that, my friends, that is our resurrection hope. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah.